broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. We are live in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador on Radio Row in Los Angeles. Super Bowl 56 is now, what, five days away? Things are starting to uh, pick up here at uh, in the media center at Radio Row. More and more people are coming into town. Remember, we talked yesterday about how... Um, you know, without the live craziness of media night, which is kind of a tradition of the Super Bowl, it's typically done in the city of the Super Bowl. The teams come in on Sunday. They have this big extravaganza. It used to be in the afternoon, but uh, lately, over the last few years, uh, they've been uh, doing it as a, as a primetime show. They'll go to, you know, uh, maybe the, a basketball arena, one of the uh, in-town arenas, and, and hold it there, invite fans to come see it. It's televised. It's craziness. But because of COVID-19, um, we've had to make adjustments in the last couple of years. Slowly but surely, we're getting back to normal, but we're not quite there yet. So um, that means that less people are here at the moment because the teams don't get into town uh, until tomorrow. And when we say that, obviously the Rams are already in town, but they're holed up in uh, Thousand Oaks, which is about 40 miles away up in Ventura County, 40 miles. And in Los Angeles, that's like hours away. I know that because I've been stuck in uh, many traffic jams uh, heading home to that part of California uh, from downtown Los Angeles. So, But they'll be coming. They'll be basically staying at their facility in Thousand Oaks uh, throughout the week. It makes a lot of sense. Um, the Bengals will be getting here, and they'll be working out over at UCLA uh, for the time that they are here. Uh, but slowly but surely, as we uh, talk about, it's starting to pick up more momentum. More people are, are uh, coming in, seeing a lot of recognizable faces. We're going to have solid Solomon Wilcots uh, on at 4:15. He is a local legend. He grew up in Riverside, played high school in Riverside, which is um, in Riverside County, east of Los Angeles. But anytime you're from Southern California, you're just a SoCal dude, and that's where he's from. So I'm anxious to talk to him about SoFi Stadium and the fact that there is football back in Los Angeles, and not only uh, one team, the Los Angeles Rams, but obviously the, Sa- the Los Angeles Chargers are joining them. Are, are here, have been here, and they play at SoFi Stadium over in Inglewood. It's just changed. I was just writing a story today for the Las Vegas Review-Journal about how the transformation. Uh, we went 21 years in Los Angeles when I lived here without having professional football. A whole generation of fans grew up not even knowing <laughs> that there was a professional football team here, too. The Rams and obviously the Raiders uh, spent 12, 14 years uh, here, in, here in L.A., you know, and, and – to not have a team and to go all two decades, more than two decades without it. And we always felt in Los Angeles like we were Charlie Brown and the NFL was Lucy. Remember that whole cartoon where Lucy had the football uh, holding it for Charlie Brown to come kick it through the uprights. And every time Charlie Brown 
uh, would get right to the football, get ready to strike the football. She'd pull the football away, and he'd go falling backwards you know, with his momentum. That's what Los Angeles felt like for so many years because the NFL kept – insinuating or implying that a team was coming here. Yeah, a stadium's going to get built. Somebody's going to do it. Uh, this team might relocate there. And every time we would get our hopes up high, something would happen. Lucy would pull the football back, uh, and we'd be falling on our back to the point where a lot of people just gave up on it. They just felt like it's never going to happen. Los Angeles is always going to be used as leverage to get stadiums built uh, across the country, kind of as a threat, like, hey, you know, if you don't get the stadium built here locally in Minneapolis or whatever uh, city you're talking about, there's an open spot in Los Angeles, and we'd hate for it to – somebody's going there eventually. We'd hate to be for, for your team, so if you don't get it – but if you don't get it together, uh, <laughs> that might happen. So, But lo and behold, you know, more and more teams started getting their stadiums built uh, across the country, and you really got to a point where it was only kind of the Raiders – the Chargers, and the St. Louis Rams, who really wanted to come back to Los Angeles. Uh, and then it all kind of came to a head in 215. But for the longest, we just felt like, nah, it's never going to happen. The NFL is just using us. It's not going to, you know, uh, we're not going to ever get a team back. Well, here we are, <laughs> you know, uh, after a year in 2015 of three teams then trying to come back to Los Angeles, two ended up being here, the Las Vegas Raiders, I felt, um, one out big time. They may not have known it at the time that it all went down uh, in January in Houston 2016, but in reality, they really were able to land in a great spot in Las Vegas. Uh, and I think the, it, it all worked out for the Rams. They were here for from 1946 to 1994 uh, in Southern California. This has been their home a long time, so uh, maybe it all in the whole scheme of things worked out correctly, but, this, but to see... Um, you know, kind of where we are right now here in L.A. and, and uh, how things have changed. Not only is there a team here, there's two teams here. Not only are, you know, the, maybe playing at the college, they're playing at a beautiful stadium, SoFi Stadium. There's going to be a Super Bowl uh, here in five days uh, in town. So it's just a great time. It's a great time for Southern California. I think it's a great time for Las Vegas as that city, the home city, starts kind of looking ahead a couple of years to hosting a Super Bowl themselves. Uh, good times here um, in Southern California, great times in Las Vegas, and to see everything kind of come to fruition has been really, really cool. We're waiting on Solomon Wilcox. We're going to take a break in a little bit uh, before he joins us, um, but uh, it's, 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 it's been a good time. Some uh, Raiders news, it looks like they're adding Jason Simmons as a defensive backs coach. He'll join Chris Ash. Uh, who was also hired to be a defensive backs coach. A lot of times you bring in two guys. One guy uh, focuses on the safeties. One guy focuses on the cornerbacks. Uh, so that looks like that's going to probably be the plan uh, with the Raiders. Uh, and we'll get into that as well. And you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation, Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. Back to Radio Row at the Los Angeles Convention Center. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. On a Tuesday, we are live on Super Bowl Roll, Row in Los Angeles. ahead had a Super Bowl 56 over at SoFi Stadium. And it is a pleasure to welcome in former NFL defensive back, current NFL analyst and broadcaster Solomon Wilcott. And he's joined by Dr. Mike. Like Ban Fai? 
Banfi? Banfi. How about Banfi, that? Banfi, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, who works for the Los Angeles Rams, uh, is one of the team doctors uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Solomon, I wanted to get right to you because you are a Southern California guy, product. Uh, grew up in Riverside, California. I know for such a long time, and when you played, you played Los Angeles teams. And uh, I believe you played over at Anaheim to play the Rams once or oh, twice. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we went a long time without football. And for so many years, we didn't think that football was coming back uh, to yeah. Los Angeles. Yep, it felt yep. like... We were Charlie Brown, and the NFL was Lucy. Every time we thought we would, were going to get it, the football got taken back from uh, out from under us, and mm-hmm. it just never felt like it was going to happen. But here we are, all these years later. There's two teams in Los Angeles. There's a beautiful stadium over at SoFi. The Super Bowl is here. Could, could you have envisioned this 10 years ago, that it was going to actually happen? You know, in, in working in broadcasting for so long, I remember as a player, I remember when it happened, but – Working as a broadcaster, I just <laughs> I can't tell you how many meetings I sat yeah. in. Every year, we kick off the season. First um, question goes to the commissioner: When is football going back exactly. to LA? Like it was. I just, asked that question. A few it, times. it was just a, it was a done deal. And I had always known that the NFL knows it ain't right if you don't have a team in LA. Right. This is the second largest media market in the country. Right. So they're losing money by not having yeah. a presence here, right? Right. They're losing a market. Um, and so and they knew that. Um, and I think Los Angeles, I, I get, I'm proud of my city. Los Angeles was the first city that realized it didn't have to come out of its pocket and bankrupt taxpayers <laughs> to buy a billionaire owner a stadium. Right. They knew that back in the 80s. That's why it would never was working because they're that's like, why, we're not going to pay for it. They wonder, no, it's like, no. And the NFL kept saying, well, you ain't going to have a team. They were like, well, we'll be here. Right. We're not going anywhere. And, and Stan Kroenke was like, I'll, be, I'll build my own stadium. I'll give you a team. I'm bringing back the Rams. And L.A. was like, I told you we'd be here. And <laughs> not to make – I mean, and Stan Kroenke deserves all the credit. Absolutely. But he played it smart, too, because he yeah. didn't do that out of the goodness of his heart. He had 300 acres, open acres in, in Inglewood. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. to say, okay, hey, I'll build a stadium. I'll the, build the around The Walmart it. didn't happen, right? <laughs> exactly. Remember the Walmart? Yes, that I was do fine. remember that. I, trust me. I've, <laughs> You're I've been on this thing for so long. But, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, and I think, I think for future cities, um, when they're getting in the business of, of stadiums with the NFL – Sometimes, you know, making a deal for the land so that the owner can make money in terms of I'll build yeah. it, but I need to be able to build around it yeah. to help finance Absolutely, it. Yeah. It makes sense. That there's, makes there's sense. There's ways to do it That's without, right. like you That's said. That's called partnership. Exactly. That's a partnership. That's what they call yeah. it. Uh, Dr. Banfi, um with Los Angeles Rams, I'm going to quickly ask you, Cooper Cup. Uh, he didn't play in the Super Bowl when they played uh, the, New Orleans, uh, or the, the New England Patriots. I covered the Rams at that point. I think it almost gets lost that he didn't play in that game because people forget. But he was a huge part of the Rams um, that season up until when he got hurt. He probably would have made a big difference in that game. He's back on this big stage. Uh, Can you talk about, like, I don't know if you did the surgery or if you were part of it or if you were, you know, overseeing anything, but his recovery from that injury, not to just get back to where he was, but it it almost seems like he's a better player now than he was then. Solomon... um, as a somebody that played for the Bengals, coming back here to play in the Super Bowl, um, people may not remember, but this is the third Super Bowl for the Bengals, and they played those other two games pretty darn close. There yeah. were there were some chances to win both of those Super Bowls. Um, how 
pleased are you for this organization to get back to this point? They've done it a different way. They're not the star-studded Rams necessarily going out and making great signings, big signings. But the NFL is great because you can do it a bunch of different ways, and the Bengals are showing that. Yeah, I've always said that you can um, take two paths that lead to the same destination, right? It shows that um, you can get where you want to go. You don't have to do the same things as the next guy or the next team. I love what the Rams have done. I thought they needed to make a move at the quarterback position. Uh, they, In order to go from good to great, that's not a knock on Jarrett Goff. It's just saying they needed to go from good to great. Um, Aaron Donald don't have years to waste. Right. Jalen Ramsey don't have years to waste. They're, they're, it's a go-now team, yes. right? Um, and so they leveraged everything they had to go out and get a quarterback who needed to be planted in a different garden, be intended to by different coaches, and that was Matthew Stafford. And there's no doubt being able to join the Rams. I thought it was a perfect marriage. We all know Clayton Kershaw. You know, he's sort oh, yeah. of he's got he that's they're good friends, yes. right? They're they good went to high friends. school together, they grew Absolutely. up together. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And and uh and you love the fact that Matthew Stafford gets his bite of the apple, so to speak. I just thought it was it's a it was a smart thing to do. You know, it was interesting because uh I was here over the summer. The Rams uh were having a joint practice with the Raiders in August. And I remember driving out to their practice facility to cover the practice and there were people on the radio here in Los Angeles talking about, hey, if you look at Matthew Stafford's stats, they look a lot like Derek Carr. Like if you go back to his years in Detroit, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the numbers look pretty similar. Yeah, and yeah. so they were like, did the Rams just trade for Derek Carr? And it felt like they were saying that in kind of a put down sort yeah, of a way. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was like, eh, maybe, but it shows that, you know, Nobody gets it done by themselves. And the situation that uh, Matthew Stafford was in, in Detroit, I think they did wrong by him more than obviously he was doing wrong by the Lions. And if you bring it back to the Derek Carr and the Raiders, I'm not saying they're the same quarterback yeah, because I think Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback overall. Mm-hmm. But their situations in the organizations that they were in, in Detroit and, in, and with the Raiders, are fairly similar. Could you see a resurgence? If you put a, a, a team around Derek Carr, the equivalent of the Rams, is he capable of getting that team to a next level or maybe even a Super Bowl? I, be, I believe in Derek Carr. Right? I will tell you that. I, I believe in his talents. I believe he has a certain integrity about himself that allows him to exceed expectation. In other words, if, if you give him this, he'll perform better than the environment around him. He's already proven that. Right? Right. That's what 2021 show. If you don't believe in Derek Carr now, if you're a Raider fan, you don't believe in him now, you never will. Right. Because most quarterbacks, most teams would have imploded, Ooh, yeah. okay, during the 2021 season if they didn't have a leader at the quarterback position like Derek Carr. Now, maybe if he was a young quarterback, like first or second year quarterback, maybe he, he won't survive that, right? Right. But he's at a, at a place in his career – He's been through enough. He has enough calluses, right? Right. Where he was like, I got this. And he kept it going. He kept it. I mean, he didn't traffic in all of the negativity. He just kind of, you know, said what needed to be said and then moved on and went out and did his job and was able to get this team into the postseason. Okay. Quarterbacks can't win by themselves, by the no way. No doubt about okay? it. Okay? And But he can, he can inspire others and solicit their help, right? And solicit their energy to go out and give their best. 
And by the, you know, let's face it, he wasn't playing with the same team that he had earlier in the year. No doubt about a, a it. A healthy Josh Jacobs, um, a Darren sp- Waller, a speed wide receiver, and Aaron a healthy Rodgers. Darren Waller. Um, it was a different team, but yet he was able to take that team at another level. I could tell you this: you give Derek Carr to Andy Reid, right? You get, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You give Derek Carr to Kyle Shanahan. We have a whole different conversation. Do you think that giving Derek Carr to Josh McDaniels has a chance to work pretty well, too? I think it has a chance. Uh, you know, I'm not as what bullish. What are your reservations? I can, I can, yeah, I can well, see no, I, I could just say I'm not as bullish because Josh McDaniel admittedly failed in his right. first attempt as a head coach. Yeah, yep. So I've got no evidence that that's going to automatically go. Correct. So, I, I mean, so, yeah, that there's some trepidation there, right? Yep. Um, and rightfully so. I, I think he's a good coach. He just has not proven that he could be a great or a good head coach. Right. Head coaches, now it's an executive level job. Yes. It's an, there's more administration, right? There's more delegation. Um, there's more setting the tone and tenor and the culture for the entire mm-hmm. organization. When you're just an offensive coordinator under Bill Belichick, he's just doing X's and O's. He's teaching the game plan to the quarterback, coordinating the offense. <laughs> the job just got harder right. exponentially, right? Right. And if you are quirky in your personality, if you're short with people, after a while it's going to grade on everybody, and that's where things collapse the first time. Yep. And you just hope that he's better second time around and, and can avoid those pitfalls. Which is interesting because he addressed it right off the bat. Absolutely. He's it's, like, look. That's the elephant in the room. I knew football. I didn't know people. There and. You go. If he does know people now, I think he's got a good chance to succeed. Yeah. If, he, if those are just words, we're going to find yeah, out yeah, pretty quick uh, as well. Okay, so what absolutely. are you guys doing? What do we got going on over here? Well, I'm here with Verisil, right? and uh, we're here. To, I'm here. I'm teamed up with Dr. Banfi. Um, he's an orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon, works with the L.A. Rams. He can tell you more about um, the new innovative treatments for cartilage repair. Mm-hmm. With that said, uh, I hand it over to the expert, yes, Dr. Banner. We're, we're going right right to him. So, so, obviously, you know, cartilage injuries are extremely common. That's, you know, in, in our football players we've been talking about all day today, but also the weekend warriors. Yes. And, you know, when that, that, that athlete or that patient comes in with locking, catching of their knee, swelling of their knee, it's likely that they've damaged some of the cartilage in their knee. And the cartilage I'm talking about is that smooth, glossy surface that covers the bones. And so what can happen is they can get a chip out of that bone or, or out of that cartilage and really create a pothole. And the natural history of that, because cartilage doesn't have the ability to heal, is it gets, gets bigger and bigger. Right. They still have more problems. And then all of a sudden they're bone on bone. And so what we want to do is try to avoid that. And so Varicel uh, has a product called Macy. And what Macy is, is virtually the, the patient's own cells. We take some of those out of the knee. We grow those in a lab, then we're able to take those cells on a membrane and reimplant that into that pothole. So we address it while it's still early, while, while it hasn't had time to progress. And so you, you, A, can get rid of that locking and catching pain that the patient's having, but B, also preserve the joint and, and you know prevent that osteoarthritis from occurring. And where can fans or weekend warriors uh, go to look up this type of stuff? There's a website they can go to, www.macimaci.com. And on that website, there'll be more information to learn about the product, but also surgeons that have been certified in, in actually performing this procedure. 
Solomon obviously played a while ago. I don't. You look great. You look Thank fantastic, you. and Thank you're moving you. fantastically as well. But I'm sure uh, there's effects of playing football that you deal mm-hmm. with. Um, is this something for an older player that might, you know, have, or even a, a older weekend warrior that has previous history with injuries? Is this something that can help them? Yeah, as long as there's not severe bone-on-bone arthritis, as long as there's there's still some cartilage that surrounds the defect, then it's a great procedure for that. Okay. I appreciate you guys coming by. Thank you so much, Solomon, the f- fellow Southern Californian. <laughs> Thank you uh, very Give much. it up for Riverside. Absolutely. Thank That's you, Dr. Right. I really Thank appreciate you. it, guys. Appreciate it. You're the best. You're, you, you as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday. Back to Radio Row at the Los Angeles Convention Center. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila and Bajador. Thanks again to Solomon Wilcox and Dr. Michael Banfi uh, from uh, Vericell for uh, joining us just to talk about uh, what they're doing in terms of uh, cell um, kind of reconstruction to be able to take your cells and use it to help you uh, and your body and your specifically your knees uh, get better. Uh, and we're all dealing with pain. We all know that. Um, and some of us uh, more than others. And so there's there's treatments out there uh, for you. Uh, also, talk great to talk to Solomon Wilcox. He's from Riverside. And uh, we were talking about some of the great sports history in Riverside, California. Barry Bonds' family came from there. Bobby Bonds, the great dad who people forget was a damn good baseball player himself uh dusty baker's family dusty baker grew up in riverside he's a riverside le- legend solomon wilcott's obviously um Kawhi leonard uh so uh the riverside uh it's east of los angeles and uh it's got a rich rich sports history i could go kind of on and on about the athletes that have come out of that uh, region so uh, great to see solomon and doing his thing uh still not only goes a great player but a great broadcaster and just kind of a great ambassador uh, to sports. So um, uh, I appreciate him stopping by. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. It's Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, live at Radio Row here at the Los, a- Los Angeles Convention Center, uh, ahead of Super Bowl 56 over at SoFi Stadium. And it's really been interesting as I'm kind of sorting through all the stories that I'm writing, um, you know, a- ahead of uh, the Super Bowl, and I've been assigned to cover the Rams, kind of reaching back to my past uh, with the Las Vegas Review Journal. That's the team that I'll be focusing on. And just, um, man, just talking and, and, and really digging back into them, and there's just so much star power uh, on, on, for that team. You've talked about, Ma- you know, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., um, you know, offensively, Cam Akers, Van Jefferson is a really good, solid wide receiver. Uh, you know, you go on to the defensive side of the ball, and this is where I think the biggest difference is, especially for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, of what they're going to have to deal with on Sunday compared to what they've been dealing with throughout the playoffs. You know, no no uh, offense against the Raiders or the Tennessee Titans or the Kansas City Chiefs, the three teams that the Bengals beat to get here. But let's face it, um, the Raiders don't have as good uh, a defense as the Rams, at least in terms of kind of the star power that they bring. I didn't even uh, bring up Jalen Ramsey, uh, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller. Uh, they've got talent all over the place defensively, and they can just get after you. And, and doing a story today, uh, these last couple of days, really on, on Aaron Donald and just how dominant this guy really is. Um, he destroys double teams. He'll eat up triple teams to help other players 
go make plays. Um, when he needs to get a sack, when he needs to make a play, he's going to do that. And you remember, I'm sure everybody saw on the sidelines, uh, you know, him bringing in his defensive teammates and kind of getting after them. Uh, it was the closing minutes of the Rams uh, win over the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game and urging them on verbally. He didn't just talk the talk. If you remember when the 49ers faced a third and 13 in that closing minute, it was Aaron Donald who burst through the offensive line, who chases down Jimmy Garoppolo and then harasses him into throwing the game clinching uh, interception. That's Aaron Donald just deciding he's going to take over at that particular moment. You know, when I was doing the story on Aaron, uh, it got me to thinking about uh, a talk that I had with Brad Holmes. He's now the general manager of the Detroit Lions. Well, he was the college scouting director of the Rams in 2013 when the Rams drafted uh, Aaron Donald out of the University of Pittsburgh. And he tells me this story about how uh, a lower-level scout whose job – he wasn't even a scout. He basically worked – he was a quality control type of guy. And so his job in the Rams organization was to cut up tape – of college prospects and his assignment was the ACC Pitt was in the ACC or still is in the ACC so he would cut up a particular player in four game segments so it would be four games of this guy four games of that guy and so he's cutting up the tape of Aaron Donald at Pitt and uh this scout this 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 basically just a guy that had just you know come on come on to the scene been there for a couple of years um and was just doing his job, but even he noticed, like, wow, there's this kid at Pitt. This guy is just all over the place. And so I remember him telling me, you know, I kind of had to work up the nerve to speak up. And, you know, he's he, he goes to Les Snead and says, Les, you know, manager, you know, I want to step out of bounds here or, or go out of my place or, you know, anything like that. But, man, there's this guy. Uh, at, um, at at Pitt, that's just tremendous, you know, and just, you know, you could take a look at your uh, the tape yourself. So that put the Rams, you know, obviously they had a, they had a regional scout who was also watching uh, Aaron Donald and speaking up about him, and, and it finally got to a point where Brad Holmes, the college scouting director, um, it would, it would it, what they would call it would be uh, coming in over somebody's shoulder, where you came in as a separate, as a new set of eyes, to kind of either confirm or dismiss what your scout is saying or scouts are saying that are on the ground in that region. And so Brad Holmes goes to Pitt to get his eyeballs. The scouting director of the Rams goes to get his eyeballs on Aaron Donald. And uh, he had a little bit of an ace up his sleeve because the Pitt defensive coordinator had been on the Rams staff a couple of years earlier. So there was a relationship. And so um, uh, Brad Holmes tells me the story where he goes, like, you know, I show up, it's, it's – noon or so and i'm talking to my my contact the defensive coordinator for Pitt, and he says look brad practice starts at 3 30 but i need you to show up at 2 45 <clears throat> get there about you know 45 minutes before practice starts <clears throat> and he wouldn't tell brad why he just said just 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 go just be there at 2 45 and so for the rest of the day you know afternoon brad's like what well, you know I, I have no idea why he wants me to get that early it's a tuesday practice um, in the middle of the season. But, all right, so he, he takes his advice. He shows up at 245, and he kind of looks around. Nobody's out there. And so he's like, what, what's, you know, kind of what's going on? Then he looks over to the pit sideline. 45 minutes before practice, 
There's Aaron Donald. Defensive tackle for the Panthers. Dressed out, ready to go, prancing up and down the sidelines. And and Brad said, Vinny, you can tell that it was his purpose to be there. It was almost like he had thought all day, I cannot wait. I have to be out on the practice field. Like, like this is where I'm supposed to be. I cannot wait to get out there and work. And he's like, it's a Tuesday practice for a Saturday game. And this guy is approaching this practice like he's getting ready to play in the Super Bowl. And so later on, and that was just struck with him, like that's just unique, almost compulsive kind of a work ethic. And so he ends up running into the defensive coordinator uh, a short while later. He's like, well, did you, did you come earlier? Like I said. And he's like, yep. And he's like, did you see it? And he's like, oh, I saw it. And so from that point on, the Rams were in on Aaron Donald full force. And it wasn't just because he was a great player, kind of making the ACC a mockery of the ACC. He was that good. But that work ethic, that commitment, that passion, that's the thing that sets Aaron Donald apart. You go to YouTube and just call up some of his workouts, I don't care who you are, it, you can benefit from it if you just watch him getting after it and getting to work. And this is a guy that also has superior quickness, superior strength, has tremendous leverage. He's not the tallest guy. He's only six foot one, if that. Um, power, explosiveness. He's smart as a whip. He knows the position. He knows blocking schemes. Uh, he could out-quick people. He could out-speed people. He could power through people. It's just the full package. And then on top of that, he's highly motivated. There's nobody that works harder than Aaron Donald. And, again, I'd urge you to go check out his uh, his, his workout videos and the help that he gives to younger players uh, as well. And so if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, to me, and, and no disrespect to anybody that they've played, uh, so far this year, or especially in these playoffs, they haven't played an Aaron Donald, okay? They just haven't. He is a one-man wrecking ball. And here's the thing. You want to double, triple-team him? Okay. That's how Leonard Floyd, who was sort of a bust in Chicago, can come to Los Angeles, and I think he's got 19 sacks over the last two years. That's a lot of sacks for Leonard Floyd. Why do you think he's getting oh, – did he, did he just get – did he become a better player when he got to the Rams? No, he's playing alongside a guy by the name of Aaron Donald. Uh, and then you look, you know, uh, to, to the other side of him, you're talking about um, a guy like Von Miller, a future Hall of Famer, who's kind of rounding into form now uh, as a player with the Rams. That is a difficult task for the weakest part of the Cincinnati Bengals, the offensive line. They gave up 51 sacks during the regular season. They've given up 12 sacks in the playoffs. They gave up nine sacks a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, against the Tennessee Titans. The Rams' defensive line and defense is just better than, you know, uh, the Tennessee Titans. They've got some great players, don't get me wrong, on the Tennessee Titans. But they don't have the combination of Aaron They got nine sacks that game. Ryan Tannehill let them down. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm with you I, without, a, without question. But even as good as the Tennessee Titans, and that's uh, of course Devon Cotton, our great producer. What I'm saying is, and and I like Jeffrey Simmons, uh, and I like some of the players that the Tennessee Titans have defensively. But Aaron Donald's a cut above. And now when you put, now when you add, um, you know, a Leonard Floyd and obviously a Von Miller uh, alongside him or flanked, you know, alongside him, 
and you have a Jalen Ramsey. I don't think the um, Cincinnati Bengals have faced that, Devon. Yeah, maybe they haven't, but they're not they're not going to get walked over. I'm not saying they're going to get walked over. I'm saying that they haven't faced that. Like, if you were to look. I don't know. This whole segment has been the this is how good Aaron Donald segment is. And, you know, and I've had it. I, <laughs> you've turned me against Aaron Donald. Why? Because you just talked about how you just wax poetically about how good he is I mean, for about 10 he, minutes. You're talking about you're, you're watching a, 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 a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, a generational player, yes, without a doubt. Generational, what he's been able to do. I, why, but, you know, I, Joe Cool, Joe Shiesty isn't scared of nobody. Damon is anti-Aaron Donald. I, I, I'm yeah. surprised. I'm sur- are you just you're, – you're scared of Aaron Donald. He's in your head. No, he's not in my he's head. He's in your oh, head. You just he's talked in your head, for Devon. 10 minutes, and now I'm just like, enough of Aaron Donald. Well, it's, now it's, I've turned against Aaron Donald. It's, it's funny you should mention that because that's what happens when you start taking a, di- a deep dive into the Rams. Um, that's the team that I'm covering in the, Super, in the Super Bowl, and you start really, you know, taking a look at him. And I knew this before because obviously I covered the round. This guy would wreck practices. Like he would, he would just overturn practices and it would piss off Jared Goff and Sean McVay and guys like that because it's like, Aaron, you know, Jesus, it's, it's like too much here. But that's what he's able, able to do. And every time I think about Joe Burrow, who I have all the respect for, Jamar Chase, the great uh, offense that, that the Bengals have, Demond, I look at it and I'm like, if you gave up nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans, and this offensive line isn't that good and it's still a little bit banged up, I, I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do against that defensive line, Devon. I mean, they've been able to make it to the Super Bowl, so I just don't think that it's this Rams team. This offensive line has been bad all season, all postseason. So, so I don't think that this Rams team is just going to magically, oh, Joe Burrow is not going to be able to get a pass off this game. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but now you, you just you said the whole key thing right there, Devon, just a little while ago. You just, without even knowing it, without even they've knowing been bad it. All, they've been bad all season? I did not say that. If you would just wait till let me finish my sentence. You said it. You had the key to the whole thing. You didn't even know it, Devon. You went over your own head, Devon Cotton. Because what did you say let down the Tennessee Titans? Ryan Tannehill. Exactly. The Rams' offense is pretty darn good, Devon, better than the Tennessee Titans, without question. So if the Rams' defense can just do something similar that what the Tennessee Titans did defensively against the Cincinnati Bengals, they have an offense that's going to be able to take it from there. The Tennessee Titans, that's why it was never a big, uh, Tennessee Titans, yeah, they're pretty good defense, no question about it. But you don't have to go. You don't go very far with that with that offense. I never believed in Ryan Tannehill getting them beyond a certain point. I was a little bit surprised that they weren't able even able to get past the Cincinnati Bengals, but they didn't, and that's that. And like you said, you you just you hit the nail on the head. It's because Ryan Tannehill wasn't up to the challenge. Matthew Stafford, I believe, is going to be up to the challenge. So when you start talking, that's the whole thing about the Rams to me. They're, more, they're just the most complete team that the Bengals are going to uh, see in these playoffs. Even the Chiefs, I don't think, have that kind of a defense. The Chiefs' defense, we've been talking about it for all season long. They just keep, you know, there were periods in time during games, during the season, where the Chiefs' defense just was not up to the challenge. And when it got right down to it against the Cincinnati Bengals, after the Chiefs took a 20, what, 21-3 lead, the defense wasn't able to hold it, and then for whatever reason, Patrick Mahomes just turned into you know um, a, a different quarterback in the second half. I don't see that happening with the Rams. I think that offensively, they're complete. 
especially with Odell now, with Cooper Cup. They've got a running game. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a great offensive line. And Aaron, the nightmare that Aaron Donald is to DeMond Cotton is too much to overcome, I think, for the Cincinnati Bengals. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, on a Tuesday in Los Angeles, Radio Row, ahead of Super Bowl 56. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Another day. Another coaching addition uh, to the Raiders. Uh, looks like Jason Simmons, the former pass game, defensive pass game coordinator and secondary coach uh, for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, looks like he's coming aboard to join um, Chris Ash's or Patrick Graham's defense. Chris Ash, um, also a secondary coach that was uh, brought on over the weekend. Chris Ash, uh, the former Rutgers head coach, former defensive coordinator for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, it looks like he's going to um, be uh, – they're going to work in tandem. It's not unusual for uh, secondaries to have two coaches. A lot of times, um, you know, there might be somebody that kind of oversees the whole thing, but then they split up duties. One guy coaches the safeties, another guy coaches um, the cornerbacks. Uh, those are two distinctly different positions, uh, and sometimes, you know, it's better to have two coaches so that, uh, you know, both guys – can kind of plug into their expertise so it looks like jason simmons will be um at at the very least working with the cornerbacks and if he uh, goes back to doing with what he was doing with the panthers um, that's also a defensive pass game coordinator uh simmons um is a former nfl player um he joined the panthers in 2020 uh after spending the previous nine seasons with various roles uh, with the green bay packers uh defensive staff um and by the way green bay packers if you're wondering what the connection is, well, um, new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham coached one year uh, with the Packers, and that year just happened to coincide with uh, Jason Simmons being in Green Bay. Uh, at the time, Patrick Graham was the run game, defensive run game coordinator and, and linebackers coach for the Packers. Uh, so he and Jason Simmons were on that same Packers staff back in, I think it was 2018. Um, and then... Uh, 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 Patrick Graham left to go back to the New York and kind of ended up coming back again after going to Miami to be their defensive coordinator, uh, then came back to the Giants to be their defensive coordinator for the last few years before now uh, joining the Raiders. So the Raiders are putting their staff uh, together. It'll be interesting to see how it all uh, gets sorted out. Uh, you know, for me, and it's interesting to see where Patrick Graham is going with his defensive staff, no doubt, um, new head coach, uh, Josh McDaniels has has a say in this, but oftentimes, if you bring in uh, a respected defensive coordinator, and certainly Patrick Graham is that, you're going to lean heavily uh, on him because it's going to be his defensive vision that really owns that side of the ball, and so he's going to want to make sure that he brings in a staff that he believes uh, can coach up and you know uh, articulate what his vision is. I remember John Gruden telling me when he went out and got. Um, Gus Bradley, one of the big things he said, it was like, look, when Gus Bradley installs his signature, you know, cover look to his assistant coaches, 
you know, everybody's going to leave that meeting believing in it because they believe in, in, in Gus Bradley, and they're going to go out there and coach it up because they believe in it. They have faith in it, and there's a buy-in. And nobody's going to walk out of that uh, office going, oh, this ain't going to work, you know, and then coach it up um, the equivalent to what they're actually thinking about it. And I think with Patrick Graham uh, and his vision and his expertise, now bringing in a staff that, you know, he believes in and believes in him conversely, uh, I think you're going to have that synergy, um, you know, for it to all kind of work together. Now we're going to see. Here's the thing, you know, with Gus Bradley and his defensive staff, those guys were together a long time. When you talk about Ron Milas and you talk about Richard Smith, you know, those were three the three musketeers, basically. They had been coaching together for a long time. And you're not necessarily going to have that. It doesn't look like it so far. Anyway, in the defensive staff that Patrick Graham is, is putting together, it, it doesn't mean it's not going to work. It's just going to be a little bit different. Uh, now, the one thing about so far uh, with this staff that they're putting together defensively anyway, it looks like there's some commonality. There's, there's some ties uh, amongst the coaches. So they've spent time working together before. And so there's a little bit of familiarity as a result. Not quite like what you had with Gus Bradley and his staff, but certainly um, it's, it's, there is a history with some of these guys together. Uh, offensively, um, you know, it, it looks like it's going to be a little bit more, at least in the, in the, in the two names so far, Josh McDaniels uh, and, 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 Go, and Bo Hedigree, uh, his quarterback coach that he brought in. There was a history of those two coaching together in New England. Uh, but I'm really interested to see how the staff uh, comes together, and I'm really curious what they're going to do along the offensive line. I just feel like that is such an important part of a team. And, um, you know, Lincoln has told us this so many times. A lot of times your offensive line coach is also kind of going to be your run game coordinator, um, somebody that is able to put that together and kind of oversee that part. Uh, How has Lincoln said so many times where, you know, the head coach or play caller is going to look at the offensive run game coordinator and say, what do we got? We need four yards here, uh, and we're going to run it. What, what's your suggestion here? You know, and you better have a great answer. It usually is something that's hammered out throughout the course of the week, but it's that coach's responsibility to get that part of the game plan installed and taught and implemented uh, and perfected. And so who that offensive line coach is going to be from that perspective of it, but then also – there's some development that needs to happen with this offensive line. There's no question. We don't even know who the right tackle is going to be. I don't believe it's going to be Brandon Parker. It just seems dubious to me at this point uh, that the that the Raiders are going to roll the roll the dice again uh, on that. It, it he held it down. You know, we can say that he he definitely held it down uh, when he was uh, put in position to start after they moved Alex Leatherwood uh, inside to guard, but it wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, when you really look at it, uh, the right side of the offensive line for the Raiders just let them down over and over and over again. You want to talk about turnovers from your quarterback. You want to talk about a lack of running game. It's not Josh Jacobs's fault. And I'm not going to put those fumbles, all of them, on, on Derek Carr. When you're under siege like he was far too often from that side um, of the offensive line, mistakes are going to happen. And so getting that fixed, getting Alex Leatherwood on the right track um, is, is, is important. It's vital. It's critical. Finding whether it's moving him back to right tackle or keeping him at guard and finding a full-time right tackle that's going to 
uh, provide a big upgrade over over Brandon Parker is critical because you can't, you know, far too often last year the Raiders were just kind of winging it or, or, or coaching around it. They were trying to coach around their deficiencies, and you have to do that anyway. I mean, it's just no, you're not going to have Hall of Famers or All Pro players or Pro Bowl players at every single position. You're going to have some weak links, but the goal is to a minimize those weak links and then also coach around it um but when you have just when you when 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 you can't count on your right guard and your right tackle on a play-by-play basis to get the job done and you have to kind of figure out a way to work around that you're basically either running plays that have very little chance of success or just completely taking them out of the play because you know we can't block this up it's it's pointless to even keep this in the game plan right now because we don't believe those two guys over there are going to be able to successfully block it up. Um, and and they got to get that fixed. And whoever they bring in as the offensive line coach is going to have a big say in that matter. You're not moving off of Alex Leatherwood, you know, unless somebody, you know, you're just not. Uh, not right now, anyway. You'd be sell, you'd be trading him, or, or moving on from him at his weakest marketability point that probably in his entire career. You have to hope that what um, you know, uh, Mike uh, Mayock saw, what Tom Cable saw, is there, and is 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 reachable, and is uh, there's enough there that can be developed so that Alex Leatherwood could be a really competent and, 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 and really good player. You just look at some of his like his skill set and his power and his intelligence. It's there. It just got to be brought out of him now. And whoever that offensive line coach is going to have a big say in that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday.